Dr. Ruth McCarty holds a special place in our hearts. Not only is she a highly accomplished traditional Chinese medicine practitioner working within mainstream Western medicine, but she played a huge role in our son's recovery after his initial brain surgery back in 2011. And we found ways to work with her ever since. So we're thrilled to bring you this week's episode. Every day, it's a guarantee there are going to be challenges and obstructions. But the secret to that is staying in the flow, staying connected to spirit and service. And when you are giving your life to others, and that's the point of your movement, then it doesn't matter what life throws in your way. Dr. Ruth McCarty practices traditional Chinese medicine, delivering integrative care to residents of Orange County, California, from infancy to adulthood. Dr. McCarty has spent her career working to integrate these methods into Western medical institutions to maximize the healing and comfort process for patients. This care is continued in her private practice open mind modalities with locations in Aliso Viejo and Orange, California. Today, she serves as the Clinical Director of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine Program at Chalk Children's Hospital of Orange County in California. She founded this program with her husband, neurosurgeon William Loudon, MD, PhD. She also serves as an associate faculty member at the Southern California University of Health Sciences in the College of Eastern Medicine. Dr. McCarty earned her doctorate degree of acupuncture and Chinese medicine at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego, California, and completed internships at PCOM and at the San Diego Hospice Inpatient Care Center. She completed fellowships in pediatrics and internal medicine at the traditional Chinese Medicine University Hospital in the Shandong province of China. Dr. McCarty has participated in medical missions to India, the Dominican Republic, and Kenya. Without further ado, here's our beautiful conversation with the inimitable Dr. Ruth McCarty. Tell us what, what traditional Chinese medicine is. TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, is a very old and eloquent system of medicine that's based on treatment modalities, initiating treatment modalities that help the body heal itself to help put um, harmony and balance into pathologies or illness that the body, the spirit, or the mind it looks at the body as a whole kind of component to heal itself. And that's done with different treatment modalities like acupuncture, acupressure, massage, herbal medicine, cupping, tuinam, oxibustion. Those are all healing modalities that we offer in our clinic setting and in the hospital. But um, one of the beautiful things about Chinese medicine from the culture that it comes from is that so many of these healing modalities, which are considered almost exotic in all our culture, are part of are part of the family tools at home to keep healthy, right? So herbs are used in cooking in China and in Asia. You know, therapeutic herbs that have um, healing properties 
are used in everyday cooking. Acupressure and moxibustion are therapies that are taught within generation family generations that are used at home to keep you healthy so you don't get sick. Or even if you do get sick, you know, these are taught by your mother, by your grandmother to keep you in a state of health. So that's so where they're considered, they can be considered exotic in our culture, kind of one of the goals of the last 20 some years that I've been doing is to bring these into the home as part of the family toolbox for therapeutic care and prevention to keep our families healthy. That's amazing. Most people don't think about when they think about, let's say, acupuncture, because I, I don't think like most people who are not uh, receiving care in this way don't necessarily think of traditional Chinese medicine as a whole, but let's say acupuncture is preventative. You know, a lot of people think think of these modalities as, hey, you know, once you're injured, hurt, or ill, I'm going to go in, you know, and try this form of care. But I think it is really powerful to think of the entire like cultural-based lifestyle, it's really a lifestyle medicine in many ways that to keep one healthy, it sounds, that sounds like a a balance to me, not just focusing on sickness. Right. And that's been, uh, I think one of the hardest things to impart or teach or even sell to my patient base is that you can use this medicine to stay healthy. Once, I mean, once people are integrated into care and they have been healed, then they understand it. But up front to tell my patients, you know, you do this so you don't end up sick. You do this to stay healthy. And that's really been an education process in my career. To, because we're just not taught that in our culture. No, I still am, am surprised for myself how I'll slip back into, you know, I'll like miss a couple days of meditation or, you know, some emotional processing practices and I'll start feeling kind of out of sorts again. It's like, oh yeah, this is like every other thing, like eating healthy and working out and, and you know, uh, that these are things that we have to do as a regular part of our lives. And we're not taught this when we're young. Agreed. And I think the word practice, you know, is a really powerful word when you're thinking about self-care. It doesn't, the things that we practice to develop Mm. our self-care regime, you know, like I'm a meditator, I do yoga, but you need to put those healing modalities into that practice. It's, It's a really powerful word, practice. And where people, you know, and, and I'm afraid in our culture, it's all kind of solution. <laughs> you know, what's mm. the solution to yep. this problem? And it's just they think of it as a like a one-time thing or a, a thing right. to get rid of, you know, that disharmony mm-hmm. that you're feeling. But it needs to be the practice. It needs to be part of your life consistently. Yeah, Ruth. Ruth, can I can I just share this new uh, theory that I have about sure. Western culture, or at least the culture that I live in? Most of what 
we are sold and the regular things we do are avoidance stuff. It's it's like it's like stuff to avoid dealing with, you know, emotional pain, with psychological issue, with you know, with it, so whether it's scrolling our social media feed or anything else, it's it's all avoidance, it's all distraction. So th- these other practices are like asking us to actively engage and to And what know, and when we do today. practice what happens we become present you know those big p words we become (laughs) present in our practice where you're right so oh social media is the worst i'm i'm as guilty as anybody (laughs) although i have to say since we have a new president and in a new administration (laughs) that my anxiety level and my news scrolling and my media scrolling has probably been cut by 92 percent Oh my God. Because I wake up in the morning, yeah. I'm like, oh, functioning adult. <laughs> <laughs> I heard on the, the news. <laughs> so I still kind of habitually listen to the news in the morning every day. And today I turned it on. And the first thing they said is the president, da, 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 da. And I like, I could feel my heart rate go up like, oh God, the president, what is he doing now? I was like, oh, wait, no. We have a different president now. It's, oh, okay, cool. it's so true. <laughs> what we need to work. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Balance. Yeah. So, Ruth, tell, tell us about the concept of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, key or chi. And you spoke of harmony and disharmony. I'd love to know more about this facet of traditional Chinese medicine. So, um, chi is a word that is used there in Chinese medicine, there are many, many different kinds of qi. And that is mostly referring to the different functions that energy have in our universe and our body, but kind of as a base, qi is a natural life force within you, but it is also the life force in our world, in our universe, in our communities, in our families, of how we relate to each other, of how our functions of our body relate to each other. And when this chi is moving smoothly and freely and working the way it's supposed to, then we are in a state of harmony and things work. Like we all know when we've had a day and we've stayed in the flow. Like what does that mean, right? We've stayed in the flow where these connections and these relationships of this energy in our own body of how we relate to our family, of how we relate to our coworkers, of how we relate to nature around us is flowing freely. And, and that's when we have harmony. One of the um, descriptions I use with kids in trying to talk about chi and how the free flow of chi means health and when it's not flowing freely is like, how do you feel when you're in the car with your mom and you're in a traffic jam on I-5 and you have to get somewhere and you can't get somewhere and you've got to go to practice or you have to go to school or you're trying and, you know, you get start getting hot and you start getting frustrated and then everyone's voices raise and that's where she is stuck. You know, it's really easy to explain to kids what that feels like and to adults. They get it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's staying, harmony is staying in that flow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wonder too, if kids are more in touch with, yes, I'm in flow. No, I'm not. Because I feel like being with kids, you, they express it so beautifully. 
they have no filters. That's right, right. Kids. There's none of these filters and these protective shields that, you know, we all put up as adults or that avoidance thing. They're just kind of right in the, they, they're good at staying in the flow. Right, right in it. So how does that affect your, your practice in, in, cause you work a lot with kids. You have, you have a very unique practice from what I've learned about traditional Chinese medicine and the modalities you use because you see adults and kids, you see, um, a very large amount of folks with complex cases, complex diseases, and you work inpatient at Children's Hospital of Orange County as well. You straddle the Eastern and Western, if you will, because you know a ton about the Western modalities, you know, you're very, very well versed in, in, in Western medicine. I think it's one reason why your patients trust you so much because they know that, you know, what they're talking about in their treatment plans at the hospital, but you know, you also are a doctor of Chinese medicine. And so there is that translational work that you do. True. I'm really interested in in what what it's like to treat kids and and how they can speak to that flow or those blockages and and you know, represent that. So I think the first thing I'm going to address in that eloquent um, description of our of my practice, which I thank you, um, is that you cannot treat a child without treating the parents. You just can't. We know that firsthand. Yep. You you can't. You have to address those family relationships because what does a child looks to the parent or the caregiver? They look to them for everything. So to try to just change a disharmony, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, you have to address the connection between the parent and the child. And that's something that I think is not unique in Chinese medicine. That's, that is part of the Chinese medicine approach to, to harmony. But I think that's unique within our practice, how it's implemented. Yes. Even in the hospital, I may not be able to do acupuncture in the hospital, but we can do other things or even like being attentive and listening and present for parents has a huge therapeutic effect. Huge. Huge. So huge. Yep. I think that's probably one of the most important things we do in our clinic and our practice is that we treat at the family as a whole, which you guys know. Well, absolutely. It, it, and it's groundbreaking, Ruth. This gets into how we met. And so I really want to go into that story a little bit and just put a pin in something before I do. I I hope that we live to see a day where when when a child is admitted to the hospital or like our son Max was directly to the ICU that the entire family is put into care. Take our insurance cards, all of us yeah. sign us all up. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Agree. Like, like why does it have to be segmented? I mean, I asked for an aspirin that first night I had the worst headache I've ever had. And they said, sorry, mom, we can't do anything for you. And it would be, I, I agree. So we have, we have uh, to take your approach and the, uh, the, the values behind this traditional Chinese medicine approach of treating the whole family to our greater healthcare system would be amazing. And this is what we saw beginning to be realized in our Ohana project. And so Maxler project 
had this wonderful, wonderful research study that we initiated with you, with Open My Modalities, with Children's Hospital of Orange County, focused on a family-based approach to integrative health that included acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. And the reason why we did this is because we learned firsthand ourselves and with countless other families, the value of what you provide. And so we met, oh, Ruth, it was nine and a half years ago now. We met in the hospital our neurosurgeon um, is also your your partner, your life partner, your husband. And he, he softly suggested that we, we, we see, you know, asked if we we're interested in traditional Chinese medicine because his, you, his wife practices in, in the hospital and, 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 and it, it was offered. And I think I remember being in such shock. I had no idea what the hell was going on. I knew we were open to it, but I didn't know what we could handle. And so you just, I think, gently came back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and before we knew it, we were getting, going in and getting acupuncture with you before Max's chemotherapy, after his chemotherapy, every week we were, every time he was in the hospital, you were there and you've been his healer, one of his healers. I know that he has had a few, including your husband, but you've been that presence for us and so many others. And one of the most beautiful things that came out of our time with you is not only an appreciation for the power of traditional Chinese medicine personally, like Max wouldn't know how to describe it, but he would just, I knew because he wanted to go. He's also an Aquarius, also, you know, a man, a few words, <laughs> but he always feels better, right? So one of the most magical things that happen is you have something that you offer that many, I don't know that there's another practice like it, where you offer group treatment. And so we would be in the waiting room with all of these families who wanted to be treated together. And we, the community that we built together. And now that you describe Chi, that's what's flowing between all of us, right? That's the power there. That's the perfect example of it. This is how our work together was was born. You know, Maxler Project was born first as a service project, a way of g- to give back and to build community and seeing the power of what you were doing and combining that with our other Be Super action points that we developed, especially our work on nutrition. We just knew that we had to work together. The Ohana Project was born. We opened an office together in Orange, California, and the work continues. I know we have some really big dreams together too, but this is how this is how we met. And I do believe that we're connected at such a deep level and we're so grateful for you, Ruth. Oh, it's likewise. I think one of the greatest losses of this pandemic with COVID is uh, well, I mean, besides all the lives and the trauma, but I can't do community acupuncture in my right. waiting room because right. it's not safe. So, and I see the the loss of of that flow between the families. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I just pray and and can't wait for the day that we can do that again. So, so deeply therapeutic, empowering, powerful. I hear from all of the families, like it's just, it's a huge hole 
in all of our lives. I think you're right. This is like a, you know, big part of the fallout from COVID. And as we come back into it, I know that that it's something that we won't be taking for granted for sure. That was, that's my favorite part of my practice is how busy and beautiful my waiting room gets and the interaction between the kids and the parents and the parents with other kids and oh my gosh and the grandparents and it's a beautiful beautiful thing what you've created is a is a space for healing. And so as you're like physically and energetically working on that flow and really helping the flow of of chi, I think can't this sort of thing happen everywhere, anywhere? Of course Every it can. Hospital? Of course it can. Waiting room, but we don't <laughs> we just don't think like that. So it's one thing that I love about what you do and the effect that you have bringing your work into the hospital is that it starts to seep in maybe more slowly than you and I would want. You've been doing this for a really long time, but what are some of the effects of your practice that you've seen change? Maybe some of the little things in the hospital, even interactions or, or things with um, associates and, and clinicians. I think to begin with, I mean, I started out one patient at a time. I told this story I think I told this story to a parent yesterday, which I, I tell this story a lot because I'm asked, how did this start, right? How did this start? And it started, um, I was treating a neurofibromatosis type 2, which is mm. benign tumors in your mm -hmm. central nervous system, your brain and spine. And this young man, I think he was 12 when he started, my bill, Dr. Loudon did probably over 50 surgeries on his brain and spine, right? And he yeah. would have pretty good quality of life after, but he would have intractable nausea and vomiting after surgery. Not one cocktail, many, many drugs would touch it. Horrible. It would be horrible. He was just constantly on IV fluids. It was so painful to watch. And I had been treating him outpatient did not have inpatient privileges yet. And I went to round with Dr. Loudon on a Saturday afternoon, just to round in the hospital to, you know, because I knew he was in the hospital. He was a very beloved San Clemente hometown local boy. And God bless Dr. Gary Goodman, who was the intensivist on that day. Um, his kids knew Taylor, you know, it was just a very energetically connected group. Mm. And Dr. Loudon looked at Dr. Goodman and said, give her temporary privileges as poor Taylor is just puking his brains out bedside and his parents feel so helpless to help him. And um, Dr. Goodman said, okay, and had him within hours. And that's how it started. And of course, wow. within 15 minutes of getting acupuncture, his nausea and vomiting stopped. It's like oh, true, that's gosh, one of the amazing. truly miraculous mm. right effects of treatment. And it was it's so beautiful. And after I had temporary privileges, they started feeding me, can you help this? Can you help that? Mm. You know, it was like I wasn't getting paid, but who like I was getting the opportunity to treat these kids in the hospital. 
And that started the path on getting permanent privileges, which was over a year process of going to medical executive committees. And the first question they asked me, you know, I'm like, I'm so nervous and I've prepared. And the first question they asked me is, do you use sterile needles? And I was like, I <laughs> no, I use dirty ones. <laughs> I just have one needle that yeah, I just yeah. use for everybody. <laughs> so Only one. But <laughs> the education process of we're certified in clean needle technique and you know, right, the entry right. level degree to practice Chinese medicine at that time was a mass a four years masters, mm. you know, and then people go like, then, then I, so they just didn't know it was ignorance. Right, right. And the process after ed, through education, oh my gosh, was they were really happy to have me there. They were yes. really happy to be able to offer this to patients. Yeah. And how many and years has it been really now? Happy. That was in 2002. 2002. Oh well, it was 2001, and it took a year to get permanent privileges in 2002. That's incredible. And how many folks do you have practicing with you at the hospital now? Um, we now have, there's three uh, credentialed practitioners. Um, I'm having two more credentialed as we speak. It's They're in the process of getting their privileges. And then we have the internship program with Southern California Health Science Universities, where um, I have doctoral students come in and intern with me and round and treat patients. That program is really great because practitioners are getting the opportunity to treat critical care, to treat NICU, to treat, you know, these types of patients you'd never see outpatient. Right, right. And so it's from the NICU to the PICU, really, all the way yeah, through. All the way through. It's incredible. And then you have you have the clinics where you can where you can see um, these patients when when they're home. Right. Mm-hmm. Continuity of care. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful, Ruth. I mean, and that makes me makes me think we've we've talked about this uh, incredible journey you've had. Um, but, but but let yeah. me go back to that last point. Oh, yeah. The point was it was one patient at a time. That's how mm-hmm. it started, right? Yeah. And that's how anything that lasts or anything of significance, it's just that one step that leads to the next step. And we have like we all three of us, right? We have these giant aspirations and but we're going to do it one step, one at, a step at a time. Oh, so I Ruth, I want to go back to the first step for you. How did this all begin where you knew you wanted to become a healer and then acupuncture was going to be your modality? So I have some, I've had some, well, still have amazing mentors in my life of women healers. I think the most prominent being my mom who was a nurse and a healer. And I was thinking about this. I, my great grandmother was um, a sound healer. Oh, really? And she was an herbalist. And wow. my, when my great grandma was, when she came to live with us, I, ha- we, I grew up in a multi-generational family. Both my great grandmas lived with us at one point. My grandma lived with us, you know, at one point which I think we miss a lot in our culture from not having multi-generational families, you know, because I got to see and benefit from their wisdom. But 
My great grandmother was, she lived such a sparse life. She was so ahead of her time. She recycled everything. She had her Bible, her little, um, she would make little vials of healing tinctures. And then she would do this really beautiful sound healing, which I'm so sorry she did not give to me, but she kind of had dementia by the time she came to live with us, you know, and she would just walk around and like over you, she'd make these little. And my mom said when she was young, she would take my mom out into the country. They lived like rural country. She would take my mom when she was a child out into the country and go to these farms where there were no doctors and with her little tinctures and do sound healing over them. Fascinating. Whoa. So this is like indigenous European ancient European, you know, folk healing, Mm -hmm. right? Folk healing at its finest. But, um, and then my mom uh, took a more traditional route and she was a nurse. She did a lot of home health care off the clock. She worked in a hospital. My mom was a very accomplished nurse, ran um, a hospital, worked in all kinds of units, but she was always doing Well, you have to go back to the basis. Like, I am a child of God in service, right? And that's how my mom raised me. We live our life in service to our creator, Mm -hmm. and we do it through helping others in healing. So she was constantly taking me out into the... Like, I never knew where we were going when I was a kid. She took me to... Longview Asylum on the weekends. Wow. This is like a mental health. It's a mental hospital. It's an asylum. It was the scariest place. And I was young enough for, I don't even know what we did there, but she would carry me in. So I was young enough to be carried. And it was a scary place. You had to go through like opening the, the, the locked gates. And I remember the the attendants, they would cut cigarettes up into little pieces and they'd be allowed to smoke a cigarette like that big. What? They were constantly wanting to touch me because I was like this child, right? And this was such a dark, scary place. But my, I don't even know what my mom did there. She did some kind of healing, nursing, something there. Okay, I just have to ask about this story, Ruth. So how, I mean, can you remember how you felt? I was terrified. But my mom constant was that was part of like our my training as wow. service be, too because you're in service to all mankind. Right, right. Right. That was my mom would what I do remember, my mom would go in and the most wretched humans in this place, and they were wretched. Oh my God, men, state mental hospitals back then, they probably, oh, yeah. I don't even know if we have them anymore. So wretched. She would wash feet. She would go in and wash feet of the most wretched of wretched poor people, oh, completely out of their minds and, and minister love and care to them. That's my earliest like memories. And you're right, she did give that to you, right? And it's it's not just showing you all the beautiful things. It's inviting you into all of it. I can, from doing stuff like that, I can walk, I am confident to walk into the scariest Right, that's what I was thinking. Is that here you have this like, this like spiritual uh, like act of grace uh, 
at the same time, you're experiencing terror. And it just, was scary. <laughs> like to like hold these two two things together is amazing. I had this blonde, like crazy hair when I was little, and I just remember them, the patients, like, and their fingernails were so dirty, and mm. like they weren't. It was a scary place, but they all wanted to like touch my hair and oh my touch me. And you were, uh, I can just great, imagine the light you brought in there. It was a great, that was the beginning. I was probably three or four years old then. Mm. Great training. And then when I was in elementary school, my mom, this is where I got my real start. My mom was the director of nursing at the Beechwood Home of the Incurable. And Beechwood Home, it was like a nursing home. But in the turn of the century, if your child was born with developmental delays or cerebral palsy, or if your child contracted polio, you were institutionalized. You didn't get to bring your kid home. That was mm-hmm. like, in our culture, it's crazy, right? In other Whoa. cultures, they don't do that. Oh my gosh. You were Your child was put in an institution. So this wealthy Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Procter & Gamble family, had a uh, daughter with CP, with cerebral palsy, and they built the Beechwood home for the incurable. It was a beautiful old type marble Floyd mansion that they bought. They bought, they built this place to give their child a home. So they started this home for these kids. As these kids grew up, it turned into a nursing home, like for geriatrics. And by the time my mom was the director of this place, it was all geriatric patients, but some of them had lived there since they were little kids. And I would go there every day after school. That's where I hung out. And all of these patients were my friends. Like I would go and sit. The stories were fascinating, amazing stories that um, one of my best friends was Charlotte, who, I mean, she was in her 60s or 70s. No, she was older than that, her 80s at the time. But she had contracted polio as a child. And her legs did not grow. She had like, she was like a little doll and she was in this big wheelchair, but she was an an adult. And when she was, I think 19, you know, this was way back in the early 1900s. When she was 19, she fell in love with an orderly. And if you were handicapped, you could not get married. You could not get married. You could not have children. You were institutionalized. So she told me the story so many times. So this orderly got a basket and rigged a rope and he was going to lower her from the second story of the Beechwood home from the incurable and they were going to run away together and they got caught. Oh my God. And he was fired and she never saw him again. And she had a picture of him by her bed. Heartbreaking. Oh my God. It was, I heard so many stories like that there. Like truly beautiful. Oh gosh. So they grew up institutionalized, these kids. And I have found that. I think I treat a lot of special needs kids in my practice, and I'm sure that's where I got my start. You know, I love 
I love treating special needs kids. They're just such beautiful, light, joyous souls. But um, another thing that happened to me there, because it was a nursing home, a geriatric, right, is that's where I got my start in end-of-life care. Yes. And I would know who was on their way out, and I would... I just knew and I would sit, sometimes I'd sit, they had these really high beds, I think, because it made it easier for the staff. But when I was little, I could sit under their beds. So when patients were um, dying, oftentimes if either it was to stay out of the way, I don't know why, but I'd sit under their beds with them or I'd sit with them until they left. And I was, it was The one thing I want to tell, there's so many things to talk about end-of-life care, but the one thing I want your listeners to know is that adults and children from doing end-of-life care at Chalk and in my practice, they do not leave unprepared. Mm. They do not leave unprepared. They are visited and prepared, and, and it can be so difficult and heartbreaking but where you you don't leave alone and you don't leave unprepared ruth i'm having a realization that we need to schedule another interview just to talk about end of life care so much this is such a great topic i i i I, you know it, it it might strike listeners to the family thrive like hey you know this is a little dark but Every family <laughs> is is dealing with end of life care. Like if it's we're all gra- gonna die. <laughs> if it's grandpa <laughs> or if it's right, yeah, it's 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 gonna touch everybody. Yeah. And so this podcast is not just about you know the happy great parts of um, family life, which of course it is, but it's also gonna be about these uh, you know these painful uh, parts of the journey that people like you know a lot about. And we would really love to, uh, I mean, really open up and have a lot of time with, with this. Yeah, I, I'm really interested just, just for a moment, moment as we keep continuing in, in your journey, uh, learning about your journey, Ruth, to know as, so as a child and a young person, you were, it sounds like you were just attuned to the transition. And you just you just knew. It wasn't something I learned, definitely. It was just something that I was aware of from my earliest, earliest, earliest memories. And you and you were not scared. No, you, you wanted to scared, be with people. I don't know. Maybe my mom carried yeah. me into the mental side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so powerful, Ruth. And we need more of you and your voice and your perspective to help us have these conversations and normalize what is the most normal aspect of humanity that we haven't normalized. No, and we've so avoided it in our culture. Mm. It's it's horrible how we've avoided it. It's horrible. We all suffer because of it. So much, so much. And then we avoid that suffering. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get sick. Yeah. Right. But it's beautiful. So you transition with people. You chose to to be there with people as yes. they're transitioning. And you've done that ever since. Ever since. My whole life. Yes. 
And I think the path that I've been following um, with my practice and in the hospital has allowed me to do more of that. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. It's some of the most beautiful, amazing. It's the point of your whole life are those moments when you make that transition. Truly, truly. in this uh imagine this you know maternal line of matriarch healers true and i can i could see them almost as you're as you're describing this journey and you end up in san diego california as an art major yes so <laughs> i have to be honest about this so i grew up in ohio i really did not enjoy the Midwest, because I like to be outside all the time. I found great uh, joy and comfort in nature. And it's hard to do that when it's either too hot and humid to be outside or too cold to be outside. Right. So I, from a really early age, my mom told me before I was five, I started telling her I'm moving to California. (laughs) And she was like, what? Okay. Yeah, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, I had never been here. I had never been here before I moved here. You just knew. So I moved to California. And when I got here, I was like, are you kidding me? People have lived like this the whole time. And I didn't know. So it was, I picked my college. Um, I went to UCSD, University of California, San Diego, but I picked my college solely on um, its location. And and art and the ocean and the, you've yeah and I, I was yeah, yeah. I was pursuing art but and it had a great art program but if you know it was mostly because where it was located you know what one thing that was really interesting that we we had uh, a podcast with uh, earlier with our wonderful friend and contributor to the family thrive Jenny Walters and she is also a healer. Um, she's a therapist, psychologist who uh, was a fine art photographer. And she described, Justin, do you remember how she said that she, she described how therapy and doing art made her feel the same way because it was in touch with the same thing. It was in touch with the same healing. It was in touch with the, like there's some sort of, right. Some energetic. Some, it was energetic. Flow, and yeah. she's like, once I got that, you know, I saw. So was there a relationship for you between that, that, that uh, creative artistic process oh, for you? I mean, art is an expression of your soul. Mm. And your soul is every aspect, your mental, spiritual, physical, like every aspect. And the art I did, I did collective pieces and sculpture. I was a dumpster diver in college, you know? I was like, I think it goes back to my great grandmother, the recycler way before her time found a use for every single thing. But I was constantly rescuing things and trying to make something beautiful out of it. And it does, it's, it is 
it touches your soul. That's why art and Chinese medicine is an art. So many Chinese medicine practitioners have previous art histories, you know? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really cool. So then you became an acupuncturist. You found your way. My, my path, it's so long and varied. So I moved to California, went to UCSD. And while I was in college, I became a first responder and um, beach lifeguard, which was another way to be able to sit outside and such a gift to watch the sun traverse the sky and all the things that happen in nature. And it was, you know, it was part of my service. I was serving people, keeping people safe. The first responder aspect, I was really interested in in healthcare. It served that need. And uh, because it was kind of a seasonal um, job, that meant that I had months when it wasn't the season to travel and surf. So I was living the endless summer, traveling all over the world, surfing, um, immersing myself in different cultures, learning about their art and their 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 healing practices. You know, it it was, and honestly, I would have done it forever. <laughs> what changed? Um, I had uh, well, I think God was giving me little nudges, saying, you know, you can't do the endless summer thing forever, and yeah. I didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I can see hey, why. are you listening? <laughs> yeah. So I went from being a very fit, high, you know, trained person using my physical abilities to perform my job to um, breaking my neck and laying in bed for in chronic pain for months, year. Not Did you break your neck do- surfing? Uh, no, I, it was an accident. Oh, um, but having my whole, my, so much of my identity was wrapped up in my physical abilities mm. and all of a sudden I had none. So, um, I had to do a lot of like soul searching, dealing with heavy, heavy, it's hard, you know, depression when you can't chronic pain is horrible, but that that experience when a person walks into my clinic or I am consulted on a person in terrible pain or chronic pain, like I know that look in their eye. I have great empathy for that. So I sought out alternative medicine because Western medicine had nothing to offer me. Once my um, structural, my, my bones were healed, I had terrible soft tissue injury And that just wasn't healing. And, you know, Western medicine doesn't have a lot to offer for that chronic condition. So I sought out acupuncture. I sought out Chinese medicine, helped me so much. Within three months of getting my first treatment, I was enrolling in graduate school to become a Chinese medicine practitioner. Wow. Wow. So Ruth, uh, what I'm hearing here is a connection to something that uh, we've talked about earlier, not on this podcast, but in the past. Your definition for thriving, you told me, was moving through life without obstruction. And so this, this, uh, this point in your life, you broke your neck, it, it 
total chronic pain feels like a huge obstruction. But what's striking me right now is that that obstruction led to something really beautiful. (laughs) I'm a little, I think I'm hard headed. I don't know. (laughs) Well, can you, can you talk more about your definition of thriving? Yeah. Thriving when I, and that's going to go back to staying in the flow. When I Mm -hmm. said um, moving through life without obstruction, that doesn't mean life without challenges because that's a guaranteed, right? Every day it's a guarantee. There are going to be challenges and obstructions, but the secret to that is staying in the flow. And for me, it's staying connected to spirit and service. And when you are giving your life to others, and that's the point of, of your movement, then it doesn't matter what life throws in your way. Because if you, if you, well, this is for me, if I stay on the path of service and I stay, you know, giving my life to God, then I know it doesn't, I know I'm on the right path, no matter what gets thrown my way. That's kind of the deeper meaning of that for me. Yeah. I love that. Ruth, so you spent time in China um, after graduate school. Yes. And can you can you tell us some of these some of these experiences when it comes to flow when it comes to that definition of thriving? Um, did you see have any experience with with um, some of these ways of of looking at life and um, existence in Chinese culture in a in a different way than uh, kind of presents here? So China, my experience in China was one of great contradiction. You know, I thought I was so excited to go and the medicine was beautiful, wonderful. It was a great experience as far as the medicine. Living in a very communist country where people are constantly in fear of the government. Const- I mean, this was, you know, it's not like it is now. So that part was it was hard for me. Like quality of life for people in China when I was there was really difficult. It was so difficult. There was, there's for a culture that is so old, you think that they would have like waste management down, but right. they don't. No. Oh, it's horrible. No. It's, I just couldn't believe that. Like how you guys understand like Chinese medicine, the flow and obstruction and So I just, they didn't put a lot of value on people, which was hard for me. People treating each other like family units. I never saw an elderly person come to a doctor's appointment by themselves. Mm. Elderly were revered. They were, even if there were no elevators in the Chinese medicine hospital. So you had to take the stairs. And if an elderly person came, I saw elderly people come in wheelbarrows wrapped in beautifully homemade silk quilts. And then the family members would carry the wheelbarrow up the stairs. It was just like so many contradictions in China, you know, but one of the most beautiful things I saw was how Chinese medicine was used in the family unit you know, with cooking of these medicinal herbs and um, practices like moxibustion and tuina and gua sha used at home preventatively. Yes. That was a really beautiful yeah. thing. But, oh man, it was hard watching how 
little value was put on life there from the government standpoint. So dynamic. And it sounds like such a, a deep resistance in the communist regime to the to the culture. Yes. And into the history of China. It was like it was shocking to me. I, I came home so thankful for public restrooms and like plumbing. And I mean, I've been all over the world. You know, I'm not like a, a faint of heart traveler. But I think the massive humanity there also was shocking to me, just how many people. And um, I rode my bike. I got a bike and would ride to the hospital every day. I was the only person wearing a bike helmet. Nobody wears yeah. a bike. Millions of bikers. <laughs> there are so many head injuries in China. Yeah. I would go the same, right, the same route to the hospital every day, and people would point at me and go, big head, big head. <laughs> <laughs> So Ruth, I want to just shift gears real quick. So um, you've said in the past that if uh, you have one self-care piece of advice for parents, that it would be breathe. And I know you've, I think you've told us this in the past too. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I actually remember you telling me this to in 2011 <laughs> when I brought Max in for the first time. You're like, dad? breathe. <laughs> so can you tell more about like, is, 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 is it a special type of breathing? What can you talk more about this piece of advice? So I am. Um, so we're going to get back to that word of practice again, and self care. Part of my daily practice is Kriya Yoga, which is a breath technique to develop a closer relationship with God. I mean, that's like the basis of it. Now, what goes along with doing breathing techniques, you know, there are many types of breathing techniques. Kriya is just the one that that, um, I practice, but it brings you, besides all the physiological benefits that happens to your body, it brings you into the present to breathe, right? And if you are being present and not stressing out about what could be or what has been and staying present, that's what I think what breathing really does is that your anxiety level will go down and you will put yourself back into that flow with spirit. So my practice, I have a pretty... um, And what you were talking about in the beginning, Justin, when if I fall out of my practice, man, I know I'm going to pay. It's not like, (laughs) it's not like, oh, I have to do this. It's like, if I don't do this, what will happen? So my practice involves, um, I do a good hour of meditation every morning and breathing techniques. And that includes just being quiet and sitting with God. And then I do a lot of dialogue with God. Is there any special or is there any quick breathing practice that you can give parents? Like, you know, things are really intense. Is there just a quick method? Yes. If you count your breaths in, if you just do, 
count the time of taking a breath in for five seconds, hold it for five seconds, and exhale it for five seconds. If you do that 10 times, your whole physiological makeup will be different. Your mind, of it will be so different just doing that. Ruth, I love that. I think it's a really beautiful, tangible, you know, first step, baby step, but also just a daily thing to incorporate in in one's life, right? That's something that you can take take a second to do. You can set your watch. You can set up some reminders, you know, to to do something like yes. that throughout the day. I I wanted to ask you, this isn't just advice you give you give parents through your practice and that you practice yourself, but you're also a mom. And I, we haven't talked about we haven't talked about that yet. We <laughs> we absolutely love your beautiful Son Jesse who is now a, a full-grown man. It's amazing, and and of course you and Dr. Loudon share a family. Do you impart any of this on your your kids? Is this something that you these practices do you share with these practices with them? Yes, actually, I just want to say, being a mom, best thing ever. Best, <laughs> gosh, the best, 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 best thing I've ever done. One of um, Heather, you know, Heather, Heather, one yeah. of our practitioners just had a baby. Oh, Heather had her baby. Oh, she had a baby boy. Oh. So beautiful. Oh. And it's just the best thing you can do. It's just, yeah. gosh, it's the best gift from God ever, children. But all of our kids, we have four kids between us. All of our kids always wanted, you know, Chinese medicine, but nobody went that path. So I'm hoping I became a grandma this year, this past yes. year. All right. I'm hoping for the second generation, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, they all, Jesse's a meditator. He's really about good food and, and healthy lifestyle. And, um, and all Elliot, um, Bill's son is a firefighter. Emily's a nurse, his wife, you know, we've, I think we've imparted the idea of service yes. onto our kids. Absolutely. I think I had more influence on Jesse that Jesse's really taken the, the be still concept and run with it. And he, he has a practice. Definitely. How is that? Is that through for you, Ruth? Is I can imagine a parent listening to this thinking, okay, how do I get started? Was it, is it modeling the way? Did you have open conversations? Did you do it together? Like, like how, how did this start for Jesse? Um, from day one, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I asked, it was funny. I asked um, Bill and Jesse, the, your last questions that you put, your max love questions about your quotes. And um, yeah. Je- yeah, yeah, and Jesse was, I raised Jesse with, um, as my mom raised me, with a lot of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And Jesse's quote oh, was yeah. a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that I wrote above his bed, I think when he was in, oh. in, when school was getting kind of hard, maybe like sixth, seventh, eighth yeah. grade, I wrote, discontent is the one of self-reliance above his bed on the wall. And, and that was the quote he gave me. It's like, of course, mom, that one. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. It starts early. Yeah. Well, you have to start it early because those practices, man, it takes a long time to, I tried to get him to start breathing and meditating way earlier than he really embraced it. You know, it takes a long time to find your way, but I just wanted him to be aware it was there. Yeah. 
and just yeah, you want patience. You know, you yeah. have to take those steps and figure it out. That's part of the life. And and but as an adult, you want you want to tell your kids, but you can bypass so much. <laughs> well, the research the research shows that uh, when parents when parents eat healthier. Uh, their kids are more like, or when parents eat whole foods, their kids are more likely to eat whole foods later in life. And same with exercising. So I imagine there's got to be something with meditation and breathing and these practices as well that like, you don't need to force it on them. But if they see that it's a regular part of your life, that it will eventually start to weave itself. And that has panned out. He's a daily meditator and he he says the same thing. Oh man, life gets too hard if I don't do it. Yeah. That's really powerful, Ruth. It makes me think that for parents who are looking to find that first place to start, that the uh, breathing technique that you talked about the five seconds or the box breathing, you know, technique um, is a great place to start. And when, you know, potentially when something blows up with your child, like let's say, you know, you're, you're in a moment, everyone's having a moment, the big feelings are coming out. One of the things that we can do is, Hey, let's just breathe together for a minute. Can we do that? So powerful, so powerful. And there are so many apps and ways now mm-hmm. that it's so accessible to oh, everybody. Yeah, and and like, well, so the consensus recommendation on exercise amongst researchers and physicians who are into this is that just find the exercise type that you like. Just find what you like yes. and do that. And I think because we have now have so many different meditation apps and, and approaches, I think the same thing could be said for that. Like find the one that you like, find the way that it works for you. Absolutely. There's not just one way to anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're all so different as human beings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ruth, how did you connect with, okay. So you told us that um, your most important self-care practice is meditation. We talked about breathing. Um, We talked about your breathing practice and a bit about your meditation practice. Can you tell us how you connected with your meditation practice and what does it look like for you? How did you learn, learn it? I do Kriya Yoga. That's part of the Self-Realization Fellowship. And um, I, I think living in, I lived in Encinitas and Del Mar where they have a center there that they teach it. So it was local and um, it just called to me. I was just very, very comfortable there. It's not a religion. You know, it is a, they teach a practice to develop your own relationship with God. And um, that just, that spoke to me. Yeah. In your family, do you, do you find that, that um, I, I know your husband meditates as well. Um, we know um, Dr. Loudon very well. He's very dear to us also. And um, he's very open about his meditation practice. Does he, does he follow a similar practice or did something else call to him? Um, He started doing TM when he was younger. And then uh, last year, he started in um, doing the Kriya techniques. So we do Kriya together. It's a really nice way. We try to end the day. Um, This year, I (laughs) I have time to do it sometimes like my main practice is in the morning first thing when I get up and then we do um, not always at the end of the day, 
But what I'd been doing with Dr. Loudon now, <laughs> I, I think his, his schedule has changed a little bit so I can throw this in. So at the end of the day, um, we're doing down dog. So we're doing um, yo more yoga, physical oh, yoga. Great. And then wow. that always, I found if I can get him to do that. So I do my, I do an hour of that when I get home from work every day and he always gets home later than me. So then I tack on a 20 minutes for him and, and help him. And then we're in a much better position to sit down and meditate. That, that is, yeah. that is awesome. You know, that resonates with me as a physicality kind of first, like I um, have found that doing stretching, it, it call it yoga or stretching and then breathing. And then, you know, kind of like in terms of a practice for me has been really helpful. It's really hard after a day of work to just come and sit, sit down and be quiet. Yeah. You know, you have to mm -hmm. do something to, to let go of all that yeah. stuff. And, that, and stretching has been really positive for both of us like that. So Ruth, you alluded to these final questions that yeah. we have. And so these are three questions that we ask every podcast guest. And I love the fact that you asked these to uh, Bill and Jesse as well. So if you want to share their answers, we would, we would love to hear them. But uh, let's, start, let's start with the first one. So Ruth, if you could put a big post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, what would it say? So mine... It would say, love God. Mm. That would be mine. I asked my husband this morning as he was leaving and he said, hug your kids. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, and coming from him, you know, he he knows uh, what's what's behind that too. Yeah, there's a lot of depth there. And and the one from Jesse, I felt like, oh, I succeeded in some way. Jesse was pack your kids a healthy lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's right on the fridge. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Oh, that's awesome. So we talked about the quotes a little bit. We talked about Jesse's quote. Um, what is the last quote that changed the way you think or feel? Oh, it was so powerful. And I am going to use the sweet, dear Amanda Gorman. Oh, oh my gosh. Is she so powerful? Oh, it was oh yeah. So powerful. So it, it's for it's our grief that gives us our gratitude shows us how to find hope if we ever lose it to ensure that this ache wasn't endured in vain. Do not ignore the pain, give it purpose, use it. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Love that. She is so yes. young too. Gosh, all the beautiful stuff that we'll get from her. Everything I my, I'm voting for her. Me too. Already. <laughs> I'm on the campaign. She's team. not running, but you're voting. She, she, yeah. she said she will. Oh, she will. I, oh, she will. Cool. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Our final question is really just the context of it is that, you know, when you're in the thick of parenting, you know, and it's just the, the, the daily grind and everything's going on. It's so easy just to sit back and be like, Oh my God, kids, they're driving me crazy. But we want to just end this by celebrating kids because the kids are amazing. And so what is your favorite thing about kids? They're 
joy. Mm-hmm. Kids yeah. are so joyful. Even in the worst of the worst, they will find some little thing to be joyful about. It's just <laughs> yes. so, they're just, they're, they're so connected. They're still so connected to the source. You know, all we're the things, all connected to the source. All, so yeah. I think we yes. forget it as adults. I love yes. that. So like all the things that we do to protect ourselves from pain, all the avoidance and, you know, all the distractions are also keeping us from the joy. Exactly. And that's what the kids don't don't have is all those avoidant coping walls built up yet. <laughs> They'll be so honest about how terrible something can be. And yeah. then in the next second, be so joyous about how something can be. Oh, there's wisdom there, right? It's like, yes. you, <laughs> you got to take the pain and the joy, like the, yeah. the grief and the love. It's all there together. Exactly. Yeah, you know what, Ruth, it really strikes me. I've learned so much about this in the childhood cancer journey with Max and with all of the other families we've walked with. And it, it along the same lines, always inspires me how the kids keep us going because all they want to do is just do them. It's play. true. I want to share right. this. Yes, yes. Because when we were talking about not having my waiting room going, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a busy clinic. I have yeah, you five do. or six treatment rooms and my waiting room going at the same time. And once we went into COVID and opened back up and I didn't have a waiting room, in the middle of my day, I was like, why am I so tired? Like, am I like, do I have something wrong with me? And I realized I wasn't like that chi that I the get chi, from the right. waiting room wasn't there. It was a big adjustment for me. The waiting room chi. No, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to point out. And in the family unit, we talk a lot about how you know, we need to care for the whole family. And I think parents being aware of, of chi and kind of their own energetic flow or lack thereof and how we can be impacting our kids, but also beautifully recognizing how our kids are positively and powerfully impacting us with that, with that energy. So true. So true. Oh gosh. You just see a happy kid. Like I've just seen a happy kid. I'm like, (gasps) right. Have you seen it? I think it was a news article on uh, these nursing homes and was it in Canada that are combining orphanages and nursing homes? Oh, that's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. I saw that where they were having like pairing them up being buddies. That's such a great idea. Oh, that's talk about the beautiful life force energy yes. there, right? The bookends mm-hmm. that we used to have in multi-generational homes like yours, Ruth, you know, that used to be the way. As it should be. Yes. And so finding other ways to make it the way. <laughs> yeah. Like your waiting room or like a, you know, like a, a way of organizing, you know, living like that, you know, yes. um, Justin's aunt actually runs an orphanage in Mexico. And what they do is they pull um, folks together in family units. So they actually have like the kids aren't just all housed in a dormitory together. They pull together these little homes that are like multi-generational homes. So great. Super cool. You lose out on so much wisdom not doing that. Yeah. Yep. So Ruth, before we go, if anyone is in, lives in Southern California and they want to access your practice and your skills, how can they get a hold of you? Um, You can go online and search Open Mind Modalities. Our website is ommacupuncture.com. 
And you can find all the information of our clinics there. Beautiful. Oh. Two clinics in Orange County. Yep. Yes. And if you're interested in pediatric uh, healthcare, hospital care, where there is acupuncture integrated into the system, take a look at Children's Hospital of Orange County. True. Awesome. awesome. I miss you both so Oh, much. we miss you, Ruth. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at the Family Five Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. The Family Thrive is a movement, not a moment, so let's spread the love.